0: There you go. Four punch, five punch, six punch combination. Body shot, body shot. Bang, 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 bang. Telling him not to counterpunch. <laughs> Boom. Boom. Whoa,
1: Rachman, get up. We're oh. only oh. oh. iron. We're going through all the for the championship of the world. I expect a tough, clean fight. Protect yourself at all times. Any questions in the challenge? Welcome Fight Fans, it's time for the main event of the week, it's the Fight City Podcast. I'm your host Alden Kodesh, bringing you this, the 12th episode of our podcast series where the FightCity.com editor and chief Michael Carbert and Fight City feature writer Rafael Rafa Garcia take a deep dive into the major events that unfolded this weekend, as well as look ahead to the major events Big time rematch between Elider Alvarez and Sergey Kovalev this coming weekend. Stay tuned.
0: Great to be with you again, Alden. And this week I'm joined by Rafael Garcia, who has been with me from the beginning uh, with the FightCity.com. So I kind of think of him as uh, you know the co-captain, uh, so to speak. And uh, it's a pleasure to be with you, Rafa, to recap what has been an action-packed weekend.
2: Yeah, there were lots of fights. Uh, good to be here, Michael. And uh, yeah, thanks for having me. Looking forward to, to getting to it.
0: Okay, so let's start off with uh, the local event uh, at the Montreal Casino. We had a major card Uh, put together by Eye of the Tiger Management. Um, As everybody knows, in Montreal, there's basically two competing entities when it comes to pro boxing in the fight city. One is Group Yvonne Michel, and the other is Eye of the Tiger. And both have have respectable, more than respectable stables of, of fighters. But Eye of the Tiger without a doubt, has has one of the biggest stables of talent, not just in Canada, but in North America. And, um, in fact, I'm, I'm, I I expect that this is something of a headache uh, for the brain trust at Eye of the Tiger, trying to make sure they put on enough uh, cards and events to keep all their fighters busy. But uh, we have an excellent excellent report on the thefightcity.com, by Zach Aloppy and uh, he was ringside and there were some excellent fights and some great performances so I would refer everybody over to the fightcity.com and check out the report a lot of uh, matches I believe nine or ten matches in total and the main event was a showdown uh, for the super lightweight division uh, between Steve the Dragon Clagget and Matthew G-Time Germain and uh, it turned out to be an absolute scorcher. 10 rounds of fast-paced intense action and in the end it uh, was a majority draw and Zach who was ringside for the whole thing as I mentioned he had no problem with the draw verdict So obviously that fight screams out for a rematch. Hopefully it'll happen in Montreal in the near future. But that was a terrific fight, a terrific card overall with some standout performances, uh, including by, uh, forgive me if I get the names wrong, people, but uh, Sadridin Akhmedov, who is a young prospect that Zach believes should be... um, put on the fast track in terms of his development because his talent is that obvious. And then the heavyweight, the scary heavyweight, Arslanbek Makhmudov, who just keeps bowling over opponents in the first round. He's six foot five, 260 pounds. When he goes to the ring, Rafa, he doesn't have music. Instead, there's a siren. <laughs> and when he gets to the ring, he doesn't step through the ropes. He steps over the ropes, Um, and his opponent on Saturday night was one Jason Bergman, a journeyman with a 27-16-2 record. You would think an experienced fighter like that would be at least able to get out of the opening round, no, didn't happen, Uh, he was overwhelmed, and after the fight, this experienced fighter who a veteran who's been in the ring sparring with guys like Deontay Wilder said that Mahmoudov was definitely the most powerful the hardest hitting fighter he had ever faced so right there we've got some some terrific prospects for the future uh, for Eye of the Tiger management then there was Lexan Mathieu Uh, who had his pro debut on the card, and I think the fight lasted all of about one minute. And that got people's attention when uh, Matthew landed a right hand that spun his opponent 360 degrees uh, before he was stopped. Uh, And then if you read the whole article, Zach makes some interesting observations about the uh, Claggett G-Time fight. Um, Naturally, it needs to be a rematch, but also somebody else who should be kept in mind uh, when it comes to to that matchup is Eve Ulysses, who, as we all know, dropped a controversial 10-round decision to Claggett in 2017, and Ulysses uh, actually sought a rematch. Claggett turned it down. So who knows? Maybe the, the, it's unlikely, I guess, that either Tiger management would pit two of their top prospects against each other. But um, no matter what happens next, uh, I'm sure I'm not alone in saying I would love to see Claggett versus Ulysses two, as well as Claggett versus Jermaine two. And Zach talks about that in his excellent article, that you can find on thefightcity.com, entitled Casino Classic. So, Rafa, moving on, uh, I know that uh, we were both interested observers to seeing stateside a couple of big fights. Um, One was Keith Thurman back in action after almost two years away from the ring. And uh, the other was... uh, that scary guy at 154 pounds. Uh, your are your countryman, if I can say that.
2: Yeah, Jaime Munguia, uh, 22 years old. Uh, his, uh, his claim to fame is that he has a lot of power, and that what he, that's what he has relied on to uh, get past his opponent so far. Uh, he was facing a big underdog in uh, Inoue this weekend, and he managed to come away with the victory. But the way he did it was a lot more difficult than uh, most people envisioned, I think. And uh, there was a sense after the fight, there were a lot of people talking that maybe Munguia is relying too much, not necessarily on his power, but on his size. And we've we've seen this this kind of thing before with other uh, prospects on the up and up, you know, when they're coming up the ranks. We've seen Broner do it a little bit when he was coming from the lighter divisions, and then we saw it with Canelo as yeah. well when he was younger. Yeah, he was uh, always the bigger opponent, the the bigger uh, boxer in the ring. And now there's a sense that Bungia is kind of following the same path a little bit. And the fact that he has Golden Boy promotions behind him, and now the Zone, and they were really pushing this agenda that Bungia is the next big thing to come out of Mexico. And what we saw this Saturday, it's going to be interesting to see if that fight represents, in a way, Mungia's ceiling in terms of his style and his skills, or if it's going to represent a turning point when he starts adding more wrinkles to his game and he just becomes a better boxer instead of just a big puncher that can get people out of there.
0: Would you say, then, that in your your opinion, while he won the fight, and I don't think that anyone disputes that he deserved the decision, although not by the margins uh, that the judges... Uh, tabbed it at the margins had a lot of people really scratching their heads, but everyone would, it seems, uh, agrees that he 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 earned the win. But it sounds like you're saying that he could have he could have gotten the job done much more easily than it, than than it turned out to. It turned out to be a harder fighter than it need a harder fight a more difficult fight than it needed to be.
2: Exactly. And I think a big part of it has to do with, uh, with the way some parts of the media, some sections of the media, not to mention the zone itself, they've been hyping him as the next great big Mexican boxer. And like to be perfectly honest, what we've seen so far, it could go either way. Either he's going to keep learning and growing as a fighter, or he's just going to be this aggressive, entertaining, hard-punching guy that can be in entertaining battles as long as he's matched the right way right now we have seen very little in way of defense you know he doesn't bring his hands up for example when was laying against the ropes and then Inoue was unloading with that uh, those over right hands and uh mungia he was taking them all night na- all night long
0: he was just taking the shot he wasn't exactly. even trying to So block he it.
2: wasn't he wasn't blocking correctly he wasn't moving his head all that much he was coming forward he showed a lot of heart you have to give him that he showed will to win, he showed determination, and he got the job done. But against a tougher-than-expected opponent, uh, he had some rocky moments for sure, and he got, he got hit with some uh, really hard shots that if they were coming from someone his own size or someone with a bit more power, who knows what would have happened, you know?
0: Yeah, and let's, and let's be blunt here. I mean, you look at the dimensions of the guy, there's just no way he belongs at 154 pounds. I mean, this doesn't. Am I am I wrong? I mean, it it makes no sense. And and it and it's and it's obvious that it's just a question of time. Eventually, he will have to move up to 160. At which point, you know, you wonder. Okay, is is the development that he's undergoing right now as a young pro, is it going to backfire? because he's able to get away with so many things because he's the naturally much bigger, heavier guy in almost every fight. But he can't keep doing this. Eventually, this is gonna, he, he won't be able to make the weight. He's going to have to move up, and, and then is he going to pay the price?
2: Exactly. So he's basically playing a young man's game right now. He can get away with cutting weight and still performing on fight night that's an ability that you know the way we understand it those of us who are outside the ring the way we understand it is that that's something that goes away with age so as he becomes older it's going to be more and more difficult to do that so at that point either he became a better fighter already or you know that's a, at that point it's really going to show his limitations and then you're going to start seeing uh, uh poorer and poorer performances at that point
0: what uh technically speaking what do you what do you, what do you like about about his game I really like
2: the way he kept going to the body all night long he, he was really committed to the body work unfortunately for him, for him it didn't slow uh, Inoue all that much because Inoue as well he was really really solid in there he kept all the, he kept taking all those punches and he kept coming forward he never relented on the pressure uh, something else I saw from Munguia was the way he was moving around the ring I don't know if that was a conscious tactical decision Or if it's something he felt he needed to do because maybe he would have stamina issues with the weight cut and all of that. So that's a question that still remains to be answered. But at least we know that he can do that. That being said, he still has a lot of things to work on, especially defense. Uh, Hopefully he's going to be able to use his jab a bit more to set up his his power shots instead of just looking for the one big shot to give him the, the KO.
0: And while he's scored a lot of stoppages and up to this point you know everyone i think would agree he, he you know his power is definitely you know one of his calling cards uh he couldn't get he couldn't he couldn't score a stoppage on saturday uh, uh, correct me if i'm wrong but i don't think he ever had the guy even in serious trouble um so is is there the possibility was the was the opponent just super tough or is maybe Uh, Munguia's uh, punching power a little bit uh, overblown? Uh, Overhyped, I guess I should say.
2: That's it. Um, I think we have to give a lot of credit to Inouye because he really, really took some big shots on Saturday night and he just wouldn't go anywhere. He just stood there. He took it. His chin was incredible. And there were even some concerns on social media that, hey, this guy needs to be careful. He might be too tough for his own good. You know, one of those cases. But... At the same time, the fact that Mungia has been able to knock out so many people previously, well, you 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 have to give him the benefit of, of the doubt when it comes to his power. It's just going to be, uh, you know, he's going to have to find a way to use that power better and to not rely 100% on it. Because as we've seen with other fighters that we're using the, the weight card to gain an advantage over opponents, you know, the weight cut, and then you end up being bigger than your opponent on fight night, you know, like, the people we mentioned, Broner Canelo, you're either going to add more wrinkles to your game and you're going to become a better fighter, or that's going to show your ceiling at some point and you're not going to be able to get past the, the truly elite opponents that you face. So that still remains to be seen uh, for Munguia. It's going to be interesting to see what happens next and how the matchmaking goes. I think, well, it's pretty obvious that himself and his team, they're aware that he's not ready to face the truly top talents, either at 154 or 160. So the key is going to be for him to stay active, to stay fighting three, four, five times a year. Last last year he fought five times, I believe. And to see, you know, his maturation as a fighter. Hopefully he can keep working with his trainers and his team to, uh, to become a better overall fighter instead of just someone who relies on power.
0: Well, speaking of elite talents, uh, Keith Thurman was back in the ring, and I think most uh, boxing observers would agree that Keith Thurman deserves to be regarded as one of the better fighters in the welterweight division, despite the long layoff, um, which was due, in part at least, to an injury. Um, Alden Kodash has uh, an interesting report on thefightcity.com. Uh, where he quotes Keith Thurman talking about his mental health issues during the long layoff, that that this was a difficult uh, ordeal for him to have to sit out for so long and not be able to, to be active. Um, Jose, Jose Cito Lopez uh, was viewed as pretty much, what, uh, not much of a challenge, Uh, But at the same time, when a fighter has been away from the ring as long as Thurman has been, uh, any comeback fight is potentially risky. And we saw that uh, specifically in the seventh round uh, when uh, Lopez really connected on Thurman. And, and, I mean, that seventh round was a legit two-point round for Josecito Lopez. Thurman was in deep trouble, and he did not respond well, He didn't clinch. He didn't, he didn't stop the action. He backed up in a straight line, and he just kept taking shots. He showed his chin. He showed his toughness in that round. And uh, pretty much everyone agrees he clearly deserved a, a generous uh, points win over Lopez. But, uh, you know, it does raise questions about, I mean, a few years ago, everyone agreed that Keith Thurman was an elite talent. I personally wasn't too impressed with his uh, win over Danny Garcia. I know some people thought Sean Porter actually deserved uh, a close points win over Thurman. Um so I I'm not sure, you know, is Keith Thurman in your opinion uh a case of unfulfilled potential or uh you know, how, how do you how do you assess where Keith Thurman is at at this point, Rafa? I think he's one of
2: the top welterweights for sure. You know, like who else do you have? You have Terrence Crawford, you have uh, Errol Spence, and Thurman is probably right underneath those two. That being said, there would be people who would rank Thurman ahead of them just based on his resume. You know, he did beat Danny Garcia, and he did beat Sean Porter. It might be better than anything Crawford and Spence have done at 147. Uh, However, like you mentioned, you know, he was away from the game for two years, Uh, allegedly because of injuries. Some people don't buy into that necessarily because they know PBC fighters, they have this uh, reputation of staying away from the ring for long periods of time. So I think what happened against Lopez was one, Lopez came to win. You know, if you saw him, every single shot he was throwing, he was putting everything he had behind them, not necessarily to knock Thurman out, but he just wanted to show Thurman that this was a real fight, that Lopez was not there to just lay down and act as a stepping stone of sorts.
0: Just get the payday.
2: Exactly. He wasn't there for that at all. Like, all credit to Lopez, because he put up a a very determined effort. And Thurman, I think it was just a case of him, you know, he got caught with a big shot, and we've seen it before. It's not the first time he gets rocked. I think he had some rocky moments with uh, Soto Caras uh, a few years ago. The This Argentinian fighter, he fought uh, Diego Chavez. And there was also at that time um, Collazo. He also had him in trouble at some point. To Thurman's credit, he comes back, you know, he stays in the fight. What he did against Lopez is he started moving a lot around the ring. And that's what hep- kept him alive in the eyes of the referee who could have intervened. If it had been stopped in that seventh round, I don't think a lot of people would have complained. But Thurman, you know, he didn't clinch like you mentioned, which is something he, he maybe could uh, rely on at some point in the future. But to his credit, he found a way to stay active in the fight at that point so that the referee wouldn't stop it. He bought himself some time, and he came back in the second part of the fight, you know, fighting as tough as ever. He still found a way to um, to outwork Lopez to keep him at a distance enough to win those rounds and get a clear victory.
0: You know, uh, you've written so many brilliant articles for the TheFightCity.com, Rafa. But I remember one of my favorites is one you wrote about Keith Thurman uh, a few years back. And um, it's entitled, We Need to Talk About Keith. Right. Yeah. Which is uh, an amusing, uh, what would you say? It, it, it,
2: uh, an open letter to uh, Mr. Heyman.
0: Yeah, yeah. but And the title, but the title... Um, the title was inspired by, isn't it, there was a book or movie we need to talk about. Uh... Yeah, I, I think I
2: know what you're talking about. I don't remember the exact uh, title right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. But well, well, it's a funny parallel because the original uh, uh, source of that we need to talk about title is about a child, <laughs> uh, like a kid who's like a real problem child and the uh, parents don't know what to do about him. Um, but yeah, it's a it's a brilliant piece uh, that you wrote, and yeah, it's addressed as an as an open letter to Al Heyman, and the thrust of the article was, you know, hey, you've got this incredible talent on your hands. Keith Thurman is is an amazing talent, and you're squandering that talent because you're not keeping him active, and you're not putting him in the ring with guys who can help him grow and develop as a fighter. Now, you wrote that article some four years ago, and I would I would argue that it's almost prophetic because, I mean, you can make the case that despite the fact that you look at Keith Thurman's record, yes, he's got a win over Danny Garcia, yes, he's got a win over Sean Porter, but you look at how many times he's fought how few times he's fought over the last few years, and you look at those if you if you look critically at those performances, um, I think you have to conclude that Keith Thurman might have uh, might have been able to to achieve even greater things um, had his career been steered a little differently, would you agree?
2: I think he could have achieved more, yeah. I mean, it's unfortunate he suffered those injuries that kept him away from the ring. And, uh, I mean, again, there's some people who don't necessarily buy into that. But what we've seen is that, yeah, in no likelihood those injuries are legitimate. So, apart from that, I mean, again, we, we come back to the issue of inactivity for PVC fighters. And that leads them sometimes to having this mindset that, okay, I'm going to fight twice a year at most, and one of them needs to be a tune-up for some reason. So you end up with very few really significant legacy-enhancing fights in these PVC fighters. You know, I mean, let's go back to those four years, back when I first wrote that that article. You had uh, Keith Thurman, Danny Garcia, Sean Porter... Adrian Broner was trying to break into 147. So you had a bunch of fighters at 147, and out of those people who were there, we got very few really significant fights and trying to establish the you know, the, the hierarchy, like who really is the top guy here. And you know, Thurman fought Porter and Garcia. For some reason, we didn't get rematches to, to those fights, even though they were close fights. You could argue there could have been rematches and the results would have been different. And, you know, I think at this point, Keith, he is what it is. You know, he, 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 he moves a lot around the ring. He knows how to punch on the fly. He, can, he showed against Lopez that he can deal with pressure fighters. He showed that against Porter as well. That being said, there's a lot of interest right now for a fight between himself and Manny Pacquiao, believe it or not, Manny Pacquiao at age 40. I would love to see that fight, Rafa. Exactly. We all would. And maybe that says something about how far Keith came and, you know, a little bit about that unfulfilled potential issue. Absolutely. Because if Manny Pacquiao, 40 years old, is the toughest opponent we can find for Keith, aside from maybe his pens.
0: Well, it's not so much that he's the toughest opponent out there for Keith, but it's more about the fact that that fight, should be an easy fight to make. We're still dealing with all these, you know, we've done a lot of articles on the thefightcity.com about the quote-unquote Cold War, you know, Top Rank uh, and HBO versus Showtime and, and Al Heyman and how you can't get business done between the two. And, you know, that has changed to some degree over the last couple of years. But, you know... Pacquiao is now an Al Heyman fighter, to our shock, you know? And and so Thurman versus Pacquiao should be an easy fight to make, a much easier fight to make than one I'm sure Keith Thurman doesn't want at all, which would be Thurman versus Crawford. I mean, that's arguably... I mean, there's a trifecta, right? It's, it's Spence, Crawford, and Thurman, right. right? Those are the top three. And... The problem is Crawford's with Bob Arum, and how are you going to get those matches done? And personally, if I have to put money, if I, you know, if I have to make a bet, my guy is Crawford. I think Crawford is the best out of all of them right now. Uh, But that fight, let's face it, that fight is not going to happen anytime soon. So, you know... We're looking at Pacquiao, and we're looking at Thurman, and we see a match that could be made. If Floyd Mayweather decides not to come out of retirement and fight Manny Pacquiao, and please, Floyd, don't. Don't. Please don't. Just stay where you are. Just keep enjoying you know, the good life outside of the ring. You don't want to come back. You don't. Trust me. We're good. We're good. We're, we're good. Fight, exactly. exactly. We're good. We don't need that bullshit. So... But if the Floyd-Pacquiao rematch doesn't happen, then Pacquiao versus Thurman makes a lot of sense. It would be a very interesting fight. And I like Pacquiao's chances against Thurman way more than I like Pacquiao's chances against Crawford or Spence. I don't want to see those two fights.
2: Yes, for sure. Uh, uh, like I believe there's a consensus that Thurman versus Pacquiao would be a much more competitive fight And more difficult to call or to predict than uh, Pacquiao versus Crawford or
0: Spence, for sure. Well, moving on, uh, let's talk a little bit now about a fight that actually we should be more excited about and talking more about um, because it's coming up. (laughs) I can't believe it. It's happening this coming weekend. But the lack of buzz for this match Is actually bizarre I mean it's it's just bewildering but the rematch between Sergey Kovalev and Elider Alvarez is happening it's happening in less than six days and yet there is absolutely almost no discussion about it there's no buzz about this fight at all it's it's bewildering as I said uh, but it's it's going to take place in Texas, of all places. Um, and, you know, you and I were together. We saw the first fight. And uh, I picked Kovalev to win, um, like a lot of people, simply because out of, out of huge respect for Kovalev's power. And also because I anticipated... An Elider Alvarez who would be more passive and, and more negative in terms of his ring performance and his approach to the fight than what we saw. Instead, we saw an Elider Alvarez who came into the ring with a game plan, determined to win. He stood his ground. And most significantly, I think, he was a much bigger man. He was the bigger man in the ring than Kovalev. And uh In a very interesting interview that you can find uh, on the internet by Manny Montreal, he interviewed Mark Ramsey, Elider Alvarez's trainer, and he openly discussed about the fact that by fight time, Elider Alvarez was well over 190 pounds for that fight. And he looked it. He looked it in the ring. He definitely was the bigger man, and I think that created problems for Kovalev. And it was a dramatic win. It was the FightCity.com's knockout of the year for 2018. It shocked everybody, and it turned the light heavyweight division upside down. But Kovalev had a contractual... um, He had the option, he had the rematch option, and he's exercised it. And we're going to see the two go at it again this Saturday. Your thoughts Rafa on this rematch Alvarez versus Kovalev too.
2: I mean I'm hesitant to call it because Kovalev still has a you know this reputation that every time he steps into the ring he's dangerous you know but at the same time we can't deny reality that he definitely seems to be past it at this point a little bit and Alvarez you know his confidence you can only imagine how much his confidence grew since the last his since his last performance that amazing knockout of Kovalev. So I think you have to go with Alvarez on this one. I don't know if he's going to knock him out again or if he's going to earn a decision, but I mean, I, I, I don't see a way that Alvarez does not win this Saturday.
0: It's hard to argue the idea that Kovalev is on the downslide. And yet, if he is, okay, let's get this out of the way. Kovalev is facing criminal charges for allegedly having punched a woman in the face and knocked her out, I believe. Gave her a concussion or something. Some sort of altercation. Uh, Sounds messy, sounds awful. Sounds distracting. It sounds distracting, (laughs) exactly. Very good point. Um, We don't know the details, and again, it's alleged. Nothing has been proven. However, he has—he is facing criminal charges over this. And then you have the fact that Sergey Kovalev seemed to—how would you put it, Rafa? I mean, he seemed to embrace an overtly racist um, uh, insult towards Adonis Stevenson. I mean. On the one hand, Sergei Kovalev is who he is. I mean, he's ba- I mean, he's a guy from Russia. He's he's a guy from the middle of nowhere in Russia. I mean, uh, this isn't a sophisticated urbanite. You know, this is this is a guy who we shouldn't be shocked to see him express uh, um, racist or or regretful. Politically incorrect. Thank you. Yeah. Yes. You know, I mean, I mean this, this shouldn't shock anybody. And, and nobody is, you know, cheering for Kovalev to win. Having said all that, I do think, though, that it's important to remember that if we're seeing the downfall of Kovalev, and I agree with you, we, we probably are, it has a lot to do with his first fight With Andre Ward and in my opinion my firm opinion he got shafted in that first fight with Andre Ward he deserved to win that fight and you know let's think back to the rematch between Gennady Golovkin and Canelo Alvarez a razor-close fight I don't care what anybody says Yes, I think Golovkin edged it, but I have no problem with Canelo getting a very close decision or with a draw. That second fight was very, very close. Well, you'll recall that even though it was very close, Teddy Atlas was screaming robbery. And, and I understand his point. I understand his point. Although the fight was close, if you were watching it carefully you have to acknowledge that the one man, Golovkin, in the end, he deserved to get the win. And the, the first fight between Sergei Kovalev and Andre Ward, it was not as close as that second fight between Golovkin and Canelo. It was not as close. Right. There's no doubt in my mind that Sergei Kovalev deserved to win that first fight with Andre Ward. And I don't know too many people. I know a few, but I don't know too many people who would argue strenuously against that. And I think, I believe firmly, actually, that everything that has happened to Kovalev since then is because of that. Kovalev didn't know how to handle it. It would have been hard enough for Sergei Kovalev to handle defeat, but it was it was almost impossible for him to handle an unjust defeat, and We saw that in the rematch with Andre Ward, he was not prepared he was he was not focused mentally, he was not there, and Andre Ward took to his credit Andre Ward took total advantage and stopped him and you know, I, I just feel that uh it's important to remember this, that that if if Sergei Kovalev's prime is gone, it has a lot to do with something that happened to him that was that was well, I don't know how else to put it, that was unjust.
2: Yeah, that could be part of it for sure. The other thing that's interesting to me about Kovalev is that, you know, For most of his career, maybe all of his career, he had this reputation as being the baddest man in the ring, you know? And he, uh, like in my mind, he relishes that reputation, like that he's a a bad man with bad intentions. He's going to hurt you. He's not just going to beat you, he's going to hurt you. And, you know, we saw that to an extent in his two fights with uh, Pascal. You know, the way he treated Pascal in the ring, he just, you know, he showed him no mercy whatsoever. And then he had that really tough match with Andrew Ward, the first one which most people think he should have won. And like you said, it got taken from him in a way. And then in the second Andrew Ward fight, there was a lot of controversy about the the low punches and all of that. And it's a bit interesting why or how Kovalev didn't respond to that. Like, if he's such a bad guy, how come he didn't find a way to, you know, be more aggressive, be more hostile than Andrew Ward, try to find a way to break him? And he ended up being the one that was broken down. So that must have done something to him mentally as well. You know, he realizes his limits. And then, I mean, I'm not an athlete, I'm not a boxer, but I'm assuming the once that happens to you, has to be a huge shock and it's going to affect the rest of your career.
0: Well, you you raised the, the key question. What did happen to Sergei Kovalev in that rematch with Andre Ward? And we can only speculate. But my theory is that the unjust verdict in the first fight really affected him mentally. And so instead of entering the second match with a healthy respect for Andre Ward, he entered the rematch with Andre Ward with a huge chip on his shoulder and with a sense of bitterness and with a sense of, you know, I already beat this guy, so I'm going to do it again, right? He didn't he didn't take into account that Andre Ward is a very talented, very cagey, very capable guy. Yeah. And he, in a, in a sense, he underestimated him. Not directly. Sort of in, if I can put it this way, he indirectly underestimated Andre Ward. This sounds kind of weird, but what I mean is that he was distracted. He was mentally distracted because of of what happened in the first fight. He focused on the robbery. He focused on on how the judges took the first fight from him instead of focusing on the fact, you know what, this super middleweight gave you all you could handle for 12 rounds. And you know what, he's a very capable fighter and you better watch out. He, he didn't have that mentality at all, I think. I think he had the mentality that, okay, I beat him the first time, I can probably beat him even easier the second time. I just got to land my shot clean and this time he's going to go. Right and instead I think I think all the all the all the you know there's been a lot of talk since about how he wasn't training properly, uh, he was abusing alcohol, and I can't help but think that this would be symptomatic of all the anger and the bitterness coming from that verdict in the first fight, and so he didn't he didn't take care of business properly ahead of the rematch, and then he paid the price and ward was absolutely vicious with those body shots some of which no one can argue otherwise some of which were below the belt right and but COVID, but you know if you haven't prepared properly and if you haven't if you don't have the right mental focus then you, then then essentially you're mentally weak you have a mental weakness and andre ward took full advantage of that in the rematch and so i i think yes I think you can make the case that Kovalev cannot recover from this. He will never be the same. But you can draw the line, you can make the connection, you can go back to that first fight, and you can actually say, well, you know what? If the judges had gotten it right, then Sergei Kovalev could be in a completely different place right now. His career would be totally different. I'm not saying for sure, you know. I'm not placing all the blame at the feet of the judges of that first fight with Andre Ward. I'm just making, I'm just drawing the connection there. If we are seeing the end of Sergey Kovalev as a potent force in boxing, it has a lot to do with that first fight against Andre Ward.
2: Yes, and uh, you know, the first fight, again, uh, most people thought Kovalev won it, the judges gave it to Ward. They go into the rematch right away Kovalev gets broken down and knocked out. Now Kovalev is rematching a guy who knocked him out very decisively. There was no room for discussion there. There was no early stoppage. Knockout There's of no the year, Rafa. No knockout of the year. It Doesn't get more, uh, you know, more final than that. So I mean, God knows what's going through Kovalev's mind when the when the
0: bell rings. Well, God knows what was going through his mind when. The question was put to him, do you want to exercise your rematch clause or no? And he said, "Yes, I want the rematch clause." Like what? Seriously, what is going through his mind? Because what can he do differently? Exactly. I mean, Alvarez is still going to be the bigger guy. He's physically a, he is the bigger man. Yes. That was obvious. And yes, Kovalev, you can say the punch for punch, Kovalev may have the harder punch. He may have an edge in power. But Alvarez is no slouch. You know, that's, that's what shocked a lot of people. But, you know, those of us who have been watching Alvarez for a while, we knew he could punch. We knew he was a big, strong, light heavyweight. And, uh, again, I picked Kovalev to win the first fight, but it didn't shock me, especially, the, and this is a key point to make, uh, Alvarez is a great distance fighter. Alvarez has gone 12 rounds many times. Kovalev, I mean, he's done it, uh, but, but he, there's no doubt that he has also shown that he has some stamina issues. He tends to fade. And uh, so, uh, and, and Mark Ramsey, uh, Alvarez's trainer, talked about that. They talked about the fact that they knew that as the fight went on, there would be a point where Kovalev would start to fade, he'd start to slow down, his stamina would start to wane, and Alvarez would be able to take advantage. Well, that's not going to change. How are you going to change that? So yeah, it, it's, it's difficult to envision how Kovalev is going to, to somehow conjure up something that will completely reverse the outcome from the first fight. In fact... Like, I find it impossible to envision. Yeah, it's very hard to uh, to find a way to do that. And,
2: you know, Alvarez, if anything, he has shown throughout his career that he has a lot of patience. I mean, just remember all those fights that were supposed to happen with Stevenson and it never happened. He was patient enough to, you know, wait on the sidelines. Okay, I'll wait, I'll wait. I don't care. I'm focused. I know what I need to do. And I know my time's coming. Well, right now it's his time. And, you know, there's no way that he's going to arrive unprepared and unfocused and um, like you said if the first time he was able to figure it out the second
0: time he's gonna arrive even more confident and more in control I have to say well there's an old saying that 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 winning the title makes you at least a 50% better fighter than what you were so so if that holds true then a lighter Alvarez is an even better fighter an even more potent force and even more uh, Capable fighter coming into the ring uh, this coming Saturday night against Kovalev, whereas it's hard to imagine that Kovalev is Kovalev is arguably probably diminished. Yes. After the last fight, so it's yeah, it's really difficult to imagine an outcome uh, where Alvarez is not the winner. So then let's ask, you know, let's have some fun here. Let's let's for a minute. Let's let's ask the question then, assuming. Alvarez wins decisively over Kovalev. The light heavyweight division is stacked. There's so many terrific fighters. Um, the news is that um, Alexander Usyk is going to soon abandon the cruiserweights so and move up to heavyweight. So all my dream fights at cruiserweight like a <laughs> lighter like Alvarez versus Usyk or better BF versus Usyk, okay, they go up in smoke. So... <laughs> Who's next? Who's next for a Lighter Alvarez at 175? Who would you like to see him take on?
2: Well, you're probably more aware of the politics uh, at light heavyweight than I am, but, you know, Alvarez against either Bevo or Beterbiev, th- those would be amazing matches. Do you think we're going to be able to see either of those in, in this year if he gets past Cobolet? Well, correct
0: me if I'm wrong, but we got Bevo versus uh, Joe Smith Jr. on tap. That's and true. I, That's yeah, coming up. That'll be, a, that'll be a very intriguing fight. Um so I would love to see the winner of that matchup against alvarez, and yeah better b f still holds a title right um there's so many interesting matchups that could happen at one seventy five you know a lot of people talk about how the welterweights are the are the hottest division in boxing or the uh, uh one uh, the super lightweights or you know the world boxing super Series is having so much fun with the cruiserweights personally. For me, the most exciting division in boxing is the light heavyweights. And I know that most of the matchups will never happen. But yeah, I, I, I hope we see some if Alvarez defeats Kovalev. If he doesn't, if if Kovalev wins, that's in a way even more exciting. Yes. Because then we get a trilogy, you know? Yep. <laughs> and speaking sure. of rematches and trilogies, let's 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 uh talk for a minute about Some breaking news, Rafa, that just came out today. It looks like Deontay Wilder versus Tyson Fury 2. It's going to happen. They're talking about sometime in April. They're talking about the Barclays Center. Your thoughts on that?
2: Well, I think it's the match at heavyweight that everyone wanted to see following their first fight back in uh, December and given the fact that Anthony Joshua is doing, you know, winning millions of pounds for it fighting. what the hell he is Anthony Joshua
0: exactly. doing? Exactly. So
2: as long as he's out of the picture, yeah, this is definitely the fight at uh, heavyweight. And it's a very intriguing fight for sure. It's going to happen supposedly at Barclay Center either late April or mid-May, something like that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, like the last fight is is a fight, the kind of fight that elevated both fighters, I think. Fury... Yes. Fury, because it showed us that he's back, you know? Like, lots of people doubted him. I doubted him because of all the issues he had and the long layoff. And then, you know, he hadn't fought anyone of note noting his comeback before uh, Wilder. And then he put on an amazing performance for 12 rounds. He got caught in the 12th round, and what was probably the most single exciting moment in boxing last year. And he came back up from the canvas, and he... You know, he, Yeah, he, uh, he did
0: just get up. He didn't just get up, right? He, he got, got up.
2: up and he continued fighting. He brought yes. the fight to Wilder. Yes, yes,
0: exactly. Yes. Yeah,
2: round of the year. Round of the year, for yeah. sure. And, you know, now we're going to get the chance to see if Fury can show some consistency, you know, because that's been, I think, an issue with him in his career. But if he's able to take everything that he did for the first fight and apply it to the second one, and maybe even get better, because why not? Now he's on a roll, you know? He ju- If he keeps that momentum that he had, there's no reason he can't, you know, get a clear win this time, unless you think differently.
0: Oh, man. No, he deserved the win, right? He deserved the, the decision, uh, the first fight. I mean, I think most people agree uh, the draw was a bit of a gift uh, to Wilder, and... Well that's part of the intrigue of the rematch. What is Wilder going to do differently? I mean, right. he has to do something differently. He's no dummy. He knows that. So he's going to be preparing in his training camp for the rematch and he knows he's got to bring s- different tactics, different strategy into the ring and uh and that and you know that that's part of what you want to wait and see what's going to happen. But um yeah, what I love is the fact that in today's version, the 21st century version of boxing, we just don't get rivalries, we don't get r- trilogies, we don't get rematch, we, we don't get stories the way that we used to in boxing. And it's obvious when you have a 12-round fight like Wilder versus uh, Fury, absolutely it screams rematch. You've got to have the rematch. And uh, just as I personally feel that, you know, Canelo Alvarez, Gennady Golovkin, it screams trilogy. we got to have that third fight, and we got to have it soon. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm all on board with a Wilder versus Fury rematch. I think it's great for boxing, and it's a very, very intriguing matchup. And I agree with you, it's, it's almost impossible to pick against Tyson Fury after what he showed in the first fight. You know, that's why we fight the fights, to see what happens.
2: That's it. And I mean, never count Wilder out. He's got that power, you know, that right hand. And, you know, like we like to say, power is a great equalizer. So all he has to do, like he has said, is land that one shot and he can change everything.
0: And on that note, uh, we turn it back over to you, Alden. Uh, great as always to be on the FightCity.com podcast. Uh, thank you, Rafa, for being with us. Oh, thanks for
2: having me, guys. And
0: uh, we're going to have you again, no doubt. For sure. Over to you, Alden. Thanks.
1: Thanks, Michael and Rafa. That was really great stuff. Really looking forward to Kovalev Alvarez 2 this coming weekend. A lot of great fights coming up in the future, and we will be covering it on thefightcity.com. Please follow us at thefightcity. That's at thefightcity on our Twitter page. Also follow us on Instagram at thefightcity, and also our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and SoundCloud, to name a few.